London 4pm has become the global standard for the time to do currency hedging. Why is this seemingly arbitrary point the world's status quo? Has this strategy stood up under some of the market stresses we have seen over COVID? Does creating this point give birth to excess volatility? And is this a bigger problem for Australian managers than their global counterparts? Hello and welcome to QPod, QIC's Investor Insights podcast series. I'm Katrina King, General Manager of Capital Solutions, and today I'll be chatting to Stuart Simmons, QIC's Head of Currency, about his recent paper, Trading at London 4pm and the Illusory Benefits of Maximum Liquidity. Good morning, Stuart. Thanks for joining me today. Thanks, Katrina. It's good to be here. Stuart, first of all, I'd just love to know why is 4pm fix the market standard? Yeah, I'd say that 4pm fix, the London 4pm, is the global standard as a reference point for marking the market international assets and exchange rate derivatives. So its original intent is to be used as a reference rate that's distinct from trading. And I'd argue that it's coalesced towards a market convention or a global standard for implementing currency hedge trade, but maybe a global standard's a bit too strong. But nevertheless, it does represent the point of consistently highest turnover throughout that 24-hour period. So Stuart, what has attracted people to executing at that market rate? Well, one of it is the market convention that's been established by benchmarks using London 4pm as their reference point. And so some investors want to use it to minimise tracking error to that respective benchmark. That's drawn in some trading volumes and that's attracted other investors to seek um, that additional liquidity and narrow bid-ask spreads which are associated with that. And these are the visible bid-ask spreads. Others are drawn to the potential for netting some of their trading interests and others, especially where there might be a conflict of interest, are drawn in by the transparency the the fix offers. Well, minimising tracking error sounds like a pretty compelling rationale. Why shouldn't I be wanting to do that as an investor? Yeah, I think it's important to be careful how we define this because tracking error isn't the same as risk. And for a return-seeking investor who waits until the end of the month, for example, to rebalance just because their benchmark MSCI index does, it really doesn't make a positive attribute out of minimising tracking error with that benchmark. Because for any material move in in international asset markets through that month, they're already out of structure on their hedging program. And you know, a simple example is a 10% drop in offshore stocks early in the month will leave an investor overhedged and overexposed to exchange rate risks until they rebalance. And that that also happens over a smaller time frame as well. So consider the heart of the COVID volatility last March. And from the perspective of an Australian investor, foreign stocks sold off over 10% on March 11 and 12 combined. So investors responded to this by rebalancing their hedge on March 13 collectively. And the imbalance of orders saw the Australian dollar sell off by 2% in the hour leading up to the London 4pm fix. That's the market impact. Uh, In other words, those investors got filled at a level 2% lower than that prevailing an hour before the fix. I mean, that's a really galling result for those investors. And in terms of tracking error, you've got to question the motivation for investors to wait until 4 p.m. the following day to rebalance rather than responding once they're aware of the need to rebalance. Whether you invest at 4 p.m. on a daily basis or a monthly or quarterly basis, you're basically accepting an unintended and uncompensated 
often set a level of market risk for longer than necessary. And the irony is for that March 13 example, global equities were already rebounding by about 8% at the time investors were selling their Aussie dollars to rebalance. That's effectively at a time where they were theoretically should have been buying back. And your paper talks about some of the hidden costs that investors might not understand from using the 4pm fix. What are they? The hidden cost is essentially the market impact that investors' trades collectively are having on exchange rates in the lead up to the fix and also during that fixing window, which means that the rate that investors end up getting is substandard and doesn't represent best execution, to be frank. Right. And you talk about the move, like the volatility around that time period can be really pronounced. Even before that window, why is that? Well, I guess it's it's important to dig into the fixing mechanism and also misalignment of interests and the protocols for leaving orders to be executed at the fix. Mm -hmm. So investors typically leave orders with a bank counterparty well in advance of 4 p.m. And it's important to recognize that the bank acts as principal to the trade. They take on the price risk associated with the fix. So there's a misalignment of interests and a natural loss aversion from banks, which means they'll have an inclination to front load any trading to harness levels that are prevailing before too much market impact has occurred. And also, if that net order flow is material, the bank may consider that the price impact in that five-minute fixing window would be too disruptive to the market, so they have to start executing early. Essentially, they're hedging their risk early before that five-minute fixing window opens up. This is even more compelling if the bank thinks there's a collective of orders in the same direction as the, across the market. And given the predictability of direction of orders, which is associated with underlying asset price movements, it really doesn't require much guesswork from the banks. But secondly, in addition to the behavior of banks, there's a predictability of flows and direction. And effectively, that net imbalance of fixing orders attracts speculators who consider that investor behavior to be really profitable for them. Uh, and these these factors, both the impact of hedging from banks and also the activity of speculators, that contributes to a fairly significant market impact. And I think in the paper and this impact that you're talking about, you've been fairly empirical in your consideration for that, and that is hard to refute. So why isn't this obvious to the market that we should be avoiding that 4pm point? Yeah, it's really the fix represents the benchmark itself. So you don't have the usual trigger for an investor to, in, to really investigate slippage in their execution costs. Uh, generally a TCA measure, trade cost analysis, that'll measure the benchmark against benchmark execution. And with the market rates prevailing at the same time as the benchmark, really an investor doesn't see what the rates were perhaps half an hour before, perhaps an hour before, perhaps five hours before the fix or at any other point of the day. So investors who are measuring their performance against the benchmark see themselves as achieving a benchmark rate and thinking that everything's fine. They don't see how much return they're leaving on the table through implementation. Right. So it's the opportunity cost of not thinking about implementation that you can be picking up by being more considerate. Yeah, absolutely. And, and there's evidence that executing at London 4pm can represent the single worst time of the day to be executing. Hmm. You're listening to Katrina King and QIC's QPod, where our head of currency, Stuart Simmons, is taking us through his latest investment insight, warning against the risks of the London 4pm fix. 
So the analysis that you've done has really concentrated on the worst days, and I get that the volatility might be extreme then, but is this fair for the majority of trading days that are pretty benign? Yeah, good question, Katrina. And that systematic bias to exchange rates around the fix, it exists at all times, but it naturally tends to be more exaggerated at those more common rebalancing periods. And that's after volatile market moves and particularly at month and quarter end dates. But really, it's those volatile periods where the market impact is by far the greatest. So, I mean, we consider March 2020 during the height of the COVID-19 crisis, an investor in international markets like ourselves may be rebalancing every day in response to those extreme market movements. And not only are we rebalancing at a much higher frequency, but the size of those rebalancing trades is magnified and the market impact is also magnified. And there is no time more visible of that London 4pm herd behaviour that we've written about than during those volatile markets. And our research has shown that the impact is, is so exaggerated that it does show to be the worst time uh, of the day to be executed. Mm. So even in the implausible scenario that every subsequent 4pm fixed impact was benign and the market impact of investors' trades was zero, it would take years and years to recover from those very real losses that investors baked in during March 2020, simply because of the frequency of rebalancing, the size of the trades that were being rebalanced, and the magnitude of that market impact. It's so significant. Right. So should I be thinking about it almost like an insurance premium, making sure that I always are flexible on my rebalancing points so that I am practiced for those volatile periods that I don't know when they're going to occur? Yeah, I think that's a good way to look at it. I mean, it has an impact, even though it's smaller, there is an impact on a regular daily basis. Mm -hmm. Then it might not be noticeable, but gee, it's, it's very, very significant on those more volatile days and also those regular rebalancing periods, as I mentioned, uh, month end and, and quarter end. So Stuart, this is sounding pretty compelling. Have you seen any support for this view from any of the authorities that are overseeing this market? Yeah, there's a recognition amongst those overseeing the institutional FX market. And here I'm talking about the Global Foreign Exchange Committee and country level FX committees. That recognition is that executing at the fix may not suit a user's requirements. That's essentially soft language for it doesn't really benefit the end investor. This is expressed in GFXC meetings and also from speeches by GFXC Chair Guy DeBell. But this isn't necessarily new information either. The Financial Stability Board, in their review of FX benchmarks in 2014, wrote that trading at the fixed price, even at the mid-rate, isn't necessarily going to give the customer best execution with that customer exposed to price movements arising from the net order flow. This is exactly the issue we're highlighting here. Would you say this is more important for Australian managers than perhaps their offshore counterparts? Yeah, it's an issue for global participants holding offshore investments in general, but it's even more sensitive for Australian investors given Australia's rising share of investments allocated offshore and our relatively small domestic capital markets. So essentially, an Australian investor tends to have a fairly high weight to offshore assets and there is a you know, associated higher degree of hedging and, uh, and rebalancing. You're listening to Katrina King and QIC's QPod, where our head of currency, Stuart Simmons, is taking us through his latest investment insight, warning against the risks of the London 4pm fix. 
So Stuart, what do you think good practice is? Should Australian managers leave it to their dealers or traders just to make the best judgment at the best time? Yeah, investors should adapt their own practices or put pressure on their investment managers to have more flexibility in their implementation and generate better outcomes from it. If they can't put pressure or their investment managers aren't responding, then consider a manager who does because our research has shown that it consistently has a fairly significant impact on performance. So what do you think the one thing a currency manager can do to start on this journey? What would be the first step? First step would be for the manager to do their own analysis, figure out what's going to deliver the best outcomes for you. You know, you really have to determine what the primary objective is for your hedging strategy. If it's, you know, what is fairly common to minimize risk and maximize returns, you really have to move that rebalancing execution away from London 4pm. It just doesn't fulfill the best execution objective. It increases implementation costs and also it leads to tolerating of higher risks as well. Thank you, Stuart, for your insights. It's been fascinating to hear how there is this sort of implicit volatility that many may not recognise despite it being called out by many of the governance frameworks. And it's particularly important, for, I think, for Australian managers, as you say, to really understand and analyse this risk and, and to be flexible with how they think about their currency hedging. I'm Katrina King, and thank you for listening to the QPod.